God, that's our prayer. It's a prayer that we offer up to you that we would be able to, Lord, walk by faith and not by sight. And Father, you know all that's needed in our lives for that to happen. The fields are white as harvest and, and we will not stop till the race is over. So give us endurance, Lord. Give us perseverance. Thank you for your word that encourages and brings truth into our lives so that we can learn from you who you are and the plan you have for us. Come before you now for that purpose, Lord, and we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you're all here this morning. I'll release the children through grade four off to Children's Church, and you can take off down there, and in the while, we'll look in our copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and if you've been with us this summer, you know we're working through uh, letters that live, God's timeless message to the early church, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ lived, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that one day he will return for all of those who have called him their own. And so we're excited about that here, and we're excited you're here to be a part of that. Philippians chapter 2 excited to open this to you following our message last week, which was that powerful passage of scripture from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, the, the emptying passage, that passage of, that lets us know of the, the amazing truth of who Jesus is, that he, would, that he would come as a servant and live and then, and then die, but that God would exalt him and raise him victorious. And so today, we're looking at this truth that the gospel calls us to shine like stars. The gospel calls us to shine like stars. In your, in your bulletin is a, a, a little bookmark with a candle on it. I'd ask you to, to bring this out, and it's a, a poem, a, a prayer, really, that's been written by Amy Carmichael. And if you're not familiar with who she, who she was, she was a, a missionary to India, and she served in India for 55 years, among other things. But for 55 years in India without a furlough and stayed there and, and the last part of her life she was bedridden and, but they would put her in a wheelchair and bring her out and she'd be able to, to greet the children that she loved so much and so many of the children in, in India who've been rescued by her heart and, and by her vision and this prayer comes from her and, and I feel that this prayer really allows us to step into this letter in a little different way. And I know maybe some of us aren't really into poetry all that much, but let's just read it together. From prayer that asks that I may be, sheltered from winds that beat on thee, God. From fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher. From silken self, O captain free, thy soldier, who would follow thee from subtle love of softening things from easy choices weakenings not thus our spirits fortified not this way went the crucified from all that dims thy calvary O lamb of god deliver me give me the love that leads the way the faith that nothing can dismay the hope no disappointments tire the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. 
Last phrase is so powerful. Let me not sink to be a clod. Whew, what a contrast. And to realize that. I'd ask you to think about that. Read it a few times and look it over during the week and see how it ties into what we've been talking about here. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, we're looking at the truth that the gospel calls us to shine like stars. You'll remember that we've looked at this as, as it relates back to verse 27 of chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And the quote that we've had in the bulletin for the last two weeks that Carson, D.A. Carson has that conduct worthy of, gospel, of the gospel is conduct that promotes the gospel. So this idea of continuing to understand and know what it means to live a life that has conduct that's worthy of the gospel, that's promoting the gospel, and a big part of that is shining like stars in the universe. Now, when you were kids, you learned the song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And all of you want to start singing it and hold your fingers up. And, and it's an amazing song, an amazing truth. But what our text teaches us here is that really it's not a little light. It's the light of God in us. It's an enormous light that's in us. It's, it's a beacon. It's an amazing power as God in us is radiating from us. And the fact that he allows us to call it our light, even though it's him in us. So this little light of mine is actually this amazing light of God in me radiating out as we shine as stars in the universe. Let's look at our text. Verse 12, Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. God, as we look into your word, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your truth. Lord, you promised that your word will not return void, and I pray that our hearts would be open. Holy Spirit, please open our hearts, clear our minds from, from clutter, clear our hearts from distraction, that we may hear what you have to speak into our lives today. Help us to go away from here changed. Men and women, more like that which you've designed us to be because we've been in your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. The gospel calls us to shine like stars. And the first thing we see is Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, and this can better be understood as so then. 
because it's coming off of this passage where he talks about Jesus and he says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So then, my dear friends, so then as you consider that, as you, as you begin to consider that, he's telling this church in Philippi, dear friends, and remember that this church in Philippi is so special to him. It's a place that he loves dearly and the people he loves dearly. It's obvious in the way that he writes this and, and other things and, and the way that they have supported him and been an encouragement to him. So there's this mutual love that they have for each other. So as he says, my dear friends, he really means it. And he says, so then, dear friends, as you consider this, as you have always obeyed, always obeyed, and what is it that they have obeyed? wonderful thing as we look at this teaching is, is we get to see that, that just like the church in Philippi looked at this writing to see what is it that Paul's teaching that we can obey. What is it that we've heard here that we can begin to apply to our lives? It was the same for the, the church in Philippi as they got this. As Paul taught them and, and showed them the truths of Scripture. Someone today or this week who stopped in my office and said, how do I know what I can do and can't do? Okay, and the truth is a lot of times I think that people look at this book and, and they think of this as a, as a book that's filled with all the things we can do and can't do. And while there's some things in here that, that yes, but ultimately and most importantly, this is God revealing himself to us, his nature, his character, who he is. And as we, as we come to know who he is, we're able to do those things which are pleasing to him. And so as, as we look at this, Paul in verse 9 of chapter 1 says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Ultimately, what Paul wants is, is the love of these people in Philippi, the love that they have towards God to grow more and more and more. Because the more that you fall in love with God, the more that you understand who God is, the more that you're overwhelmed and swept away by his presence in your life, that light that is inside of you, the more that you're swept away by that, the more you're likely to do those things that are pleasing to him. And Paul says, as you've always obeyed, and in that he's saying, in that your love has shown itself as obedience. Jesus said, those who have my commands and obey them, they are the ones who love me. So our obedience is a demonstration of our love for God. Now, our first point today is we look at this idea that the gospel calls us to shine like stars as we allow this gigantic beacon of God within us to shine out is that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as God works within us. And so he says... Continue to work out, continue, I love that. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act. And this is so important. Remember the letter starts out with Paul declaring that these saints are in Christ. And so as they are in Christ and Christ is in them, and that's the same for us who know Christ, is, is we are in Christ and Christ is in us. 
And God is working in us through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. So we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought there was nothing we could do to earn salvation. How do we work to, to gain our salvation? And, and we have to be careful because that's not what this text is teaching in any way. Because we can't earn salvation. Romans 6.23 tells us what we earn. It says, for the wages of sin is death. See, wages are those things that you earn, and what you've earned by your sin is death. Not life, not salvation. Salvation is life. Salvation is rebirth. Salvation is life brought to, uh, to a person who's spiritually dead. We haven't earned that, and we're not able to. The verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we understand and know that our salvation comes from Jesus Christ. Our, our salvation is secured for us by Jesus and his death on the cross. In verse 28 of chapter 1, it says, This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Our salvation comes from God. So this idea of working out our salvation... As Paul has told us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. See, it's your salvation that moves you into a new citizenship. As you are saved, you're moved into a new citizenship. You're moved into citizenship in heaven. And you become a stranger and an alien on this world. And so you've become a citizen of heaven. Your salvation has, has secured that for you. So in a way, working out your salvation means to live the salvation life that you've been given. It means to work out this being a citizen of heaven while you're on earth. Paul in this letter is constantly bringing us to consider an eternal perspective. We get so wrapped up in the, in the temporary, in the momentary here. And, and Paul is constantly moving us to consider this eternal perspective. To work out this salvation with fear and trembling. And we're like, wow, it's a fear and trembling. What does that mean? Remember, it's so then, my dear friends. It's, it's following this declaration that Jesus Christ has been exalted to the highest place, a place that is above every other, and his name is every other. And so it is Jesus Christ who is God and, and who is over us. And, and so this idea of fear and trembling. Could I suggest to you there's two different types of fear as we look at Scripture? One is a paralyzing type of fear, a tormenting type of fear. And that's a fear that's rooted in guilt and misunderstanding. It's, it's a lack of trust. It's a fear that's, that comes from bondage. It keeps people from knowing God. It keeps people at a distance from God. It's a paralyzing fear. And so if you're a person who, who maybe doesn't believe God is who he says he is, that, that he's not the person or the God that he's presented himself to be in Scripture, if you're a person who wrestles with that, then you can find yourself being afraid of this God who describes himself. 
But then there's a, a, a productive and empowering type of fear. And that's, that's the fear that, that, that we're talking about here. And this recognizes the terrifying power and the awesomeness of God. But at the same time, it, it understands and reverently realizes the unconditional love of God that has made, that has made himself approachable on his terms. So there's these two types of fear. And the one fear grows us closer to God and the other fear distances us from him. I think one place that I I see in scripture where this happens is at the the foot of the mountain as as Moses brings the Israelites there. And and he brings them there and, and the cloud comes over the mountain and the thunder and the lightning as God settles on the mountain. And can you imagine, I mean, you know, we've read it, but could you imagine being there and seeing that, being on the foot of the mountain, and all of a sudden this gigantic storm comes in, and it's like there, like right there. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is the one that would be like, take cover. And the Israelites are like, I'm not, we don't want to go up there. That's it, we're afraid. And God says to Moses, come up here. (laughs) And Moses, because of his relationship with God, understands and knows that terrifying power. He sees the terrifying power for what it is. But he also knows that God has made himself approachable on his terms. And so Moses is able to go up and meet with God because God has allowed him into his presence. And because of that, he stands in the presence of God. And our lives are impacted by Moses' obedience and his work. So you see, for each one of us, as we, as we realize that and we work out our salvation with full understanding of the terrifying power of God, but also living in the celebration of the fact that by his grace and by his love and by the death of Jesus Christ, we're actually able to be in his presence. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his purpose. And here's that amazing dichotomy. And and I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says, the best and wisest thing in the world is to work as if it all depended on you and then trust in God knowing it all depends on him. That's, That's huge. And that's what we're talking about here. It's this idea that I'm working with everything inside of me to, to be pleasing and to be, to be uh, following the commands of God, to be obeying him, but it's God who works in me who even makes that possible. Apart from him, that's not even a desire that I have. I had a situation in my life a few years ago where I had this person in my life who well, this person had a problem. Maybe I had a problem with this person. <laughs> you, you understand that, right? And, and I had a problem with this person. And so I didn't like this person. Now, the issue here is that this person is, is a brother in Christ. Okay, he's, he's someone who loves Jesus but I don't love him. 
So I'm doing my devotion, and I come across John 13, 34, and 35, and Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. A new commandment I give you, that you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And I'm thinking to myself, I think Jesus is trying to say that we need to love one another. Right? But there's a problem. Because not only do I not love this person, I don't want to love this person. Because they don't deserve for me to love them. Right? Got anybody in your life like that? Have you ever had anybody in your life like that? So what do I do? Because now I'm being convicted. Yeah, I love that. You see that sidebar? That's a beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit does not condemn us. Amen. So the Holy Spirit's convicting me so that Satan can't condemn me. And I need to move away from the position that I have. So I called three of my friends and I said, could you be praying with me that I would want to love this person? <laughs> Not that I would love him because that was totally out of the picture. First thing I needed to do was to want to love him. Do you know that God answered that prayer? And more? He who, is a, he who does exceedingly abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine. He skipped right over the want to and I started loving this guy. Deeply. You understand that you do exactly what you want to do. Okay, you do what you want to do. And what this verse talks about is it talks about it's God who works in you to make you want that which is pleasing to him. And when you want what is pleasing to him, you start acting on what is pleasing to him. And instead of pretending to do the things that are pleasing to him, they're coming from a heart that longs to be doing the things that God would do. God in you, the light in you. So is, is there someone that you don't want to love? Is there something that God's been nudging you to do that you don't want to do? Has God to move in your heart to give you the desire to do that? Because it is God in you working so that you will will and act according to his good purpose. And the word there is actually pleasure. It's to God's pleasure. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I wonder if I, if I were able to look up and see God, would he be smiling? Have I brought him pleasure? How much pleasure does God derive from my life? This tells us how we can do that. So, the gospel calls us to shine like stars. In what ways are you impacted as you consider that God himself is working in you both to will and act according to his good purpose. All right? We need to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. God is working in us. The second thing we see is we are his children. We're his children. Do everything without complaining and arguing. The next section starts out. 
Do you, do you, ever, do you ever search scripture for the loopholes? <laughs> right? It's like, well, that's probably not exactly what that verse means. You ever thought that to yourself? So this one says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Not a lot of wiggle room there. How are you with this? <laughs> uh, yeah. Isn't that something? Now in this section, Paul, who continually looks forward for us also in these two verses, it's so interesting as I've looked at these and studied these and, and I don't know, I just, just trying to get inside of Paul's head, if I could put it that way. And you'll remember that Paul is, is so unique for us. He's this Pharisee of Pharisees, trained by Gamaliel, a deep understanding of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and the, and the sacrificial system, and he had such a rich understanding of this. And so much so that he was so zealous for this. And we're going to look at this in a couple of weeks. But, but he just, he had such a wealth of knowledge here. And, and I believe that, that the Old Testament was just part and parcel of who he was. It just permeated his entire being. I believe that he had so much of it memorized that it, it just found its way into his conversation. Do you have things like that in your life? Things that you're so familiar with? that they just find ways into your conversation, quotes and things like that. But Paul is also this one who was uniquely called by God to stand the gap and help, help a church understand how they were being grafted in to this and that the fulfillments that came from Christ were allowing the Gentiles to be brought in and be part of this as, as children of God brought into this that which he had set up for the nation of Israel. And so we've been grafted into that for this age as we wait for the next age where the rest of the promises to Israel will be fulfilled. But in the while, we're in this together with the Jewish people. And it's so good for us to be there. But as he's, as he's unpacking the Old Testament and, and as he's trying to help them understand, so many of his quotes and things like that just come from, I believe, from a rich understanding of that Old Testament that, that, that was written to the nation of Israel and preserved for us. So he says, do everything without arguing or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure. And remember... In verse 10, as he prayed, verse 9, he said, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, looking forward on the day of Christ, pure and blameless. And so he prayed that the church in Philippi would be pure and blameless, and now he comes and he starts commanding them, be pure and blameless. I'm praying this for you, but you need to do it. Work out your salvation, for it's God who works in you. You see how that all ties together. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you start shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Now, there's several passages that we see in here. 
blameless and pure, without arguing and complaining. Now, the complaining and arguing would go back to, to Exodus chapter 16, where the nation of Israel began to complain and argue against Moses and Aaron. They had been brought out from Egypt, and they'd been rescued. But they began to argue and complain. And I think a lot of times, we don't understand exactly why God has given us those, those accounts. I know for me, uh, it used to be I'd read that, and I'd go, wow. So the nation of Israel has been released. They were in slavery, and now they're free, and they started to complain. I'd never do anything like that. And we look back and we, we kind of like hold them. But listen, what Paul is saying is think about it. In which ways are you complaining and arguing? Because you understand that we've been set free from Egypt as well. We've been set free from our bondage to sin. To sin that is a horrible taskmaster. And we've been slaves to sin and we've been set free from that. And we've brought, been brought into freedom in Christ. And so what do we have to complain and argue about? What are we murmuring about? And Paul says, don't do that. Because you're children of God. Without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, it says, They have acted corruptly toward him. This is the song of Moses talking about the nation of Israel, to their shame they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. And again, I believe he's telling the church in Philippi, listen, learn from that. Remain his children that are, blame and are blameless and pure. Don't, don't follow that example. That's there so that you have an example not to follow. In a crooked and depraved generation, just like they had become a crooked and depraved generation, the Philippians were living in a crooked and depraved generation. And he's saying, listen, you need to be without fault, blameless and pure, without complaining or arguing. It, the beautiful thing about living in a depraved generation, which I'd say we are experiencing, the beautiful thing about that is as, as we shine as stars in the universe, we will radiate Christ much better than if, if it was not that way. The problem comes in when we don't live blameless and pure. And we claim his name when we're actually not different. In which you will shine like stars as you hold out the word of life. Here's the important part. And this takes us to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Again, it's this forward look. And, and, and Daniel 12 is an amazing forward look. And if Paul did borrow the language from that, again, it's looking forward to the fact that we will star, shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life, and the word of life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we're able to lead many to righteousness, we will be wise and we will shine like the stars. So listen, what are you doing with the gospel? Are you holding it out? 
Are you holding it out for people to see? And Paul goes on to say, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. So again, we have the boasting piece. Now you remember we looked back on on chapter 1, verse 26 about how, how Paul said, let's boast on Jesus. And so that whatever's happening in my life, I may be able to use that as a declaration. I may be able to boast on Jesus that this is what he's doing in my life. And as I see that happening in your life, that we can boast on Jesus for what's happening in each of our lives so that, that Jesus is the one who, who, who gets the declaration. And, and Paul is saying here, I want to be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, Paul says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And listen, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. And one day, one day, you will kneel before God. You will kneel before Jesus who died on the cross. He came and he took on flesh, took on the nature of a servant, died on the cross so that salvation could be available to all. And he entrusted that message to us. And one day we will get a chance to boast on what we did with that. And as you stand before Jesus, what will you boast about? I had a really nice house. And my car was good. And my kids were good at soccer. And, and I... Glad to be here. What will you boast about? In Second Timothy... Paul says, the things that you have heard from me entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to train others. See, it's about how can I take what Jesus has done in my life and pass it on to someone who can then be overwhelmed by what Jesus can do for them, who can pass that on to someone else, who can be overwhelmed by what Jesus has done for them, who can pass it on to someone else. How can we do that in such a way so that on the day of Christ we can stand and boast on the Lord Jesus for what he's done in our lives and how he's changed our lives? Because we're his children. And God is a missionary God. And so we're missionary kids. And we're missionaries. The gospel calls us to shine like stars in the universe. God's working in us. We're his children. Do you see how these verses, they're the defining characteristics of the child of God and how do those characteristics reveal themselves in our lives? And how does this allow us to shine like stars in the universe and in what way are we holding out that word of truth? The last thing is there's rejoicing in this. That's what's so cool about that. There's rejoicing in this. You want to experience joy? Here it is. And Philippians is a letter that that has at its core this message of joy, but the message of joy is found in being focused on the gospel. And up until this point in the letter, Paul is telling them how every situation that's happening in his life is allowing him to experience joy because he's seen how the gospel is being proclaimed through it. And now he says, but even as I'm being poured out, like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. I communicated with 
Arlene during the week on this because it's a fascinating thing to think, what does this mean, drink offering? And again, as Paul understands these sacrifices and everything so much better than any of us really can, and as he says this, and you'll remember at the very end of his life in Second Timothy, he says, for even as I am now being poured out as a drink offering, I've fought the good fight, I've, I've run the good race. So Paul understood his life as a sacrifice. He saw his life as a sacrifice as he emulated his Savior. And his Savior came as a servant. His Savior came to sacrifice. And Paul, in emulating his Savior, was a servant who sacrificed. And, and that aspect of who he was allowed him to be a drink offering that was poured over the sacrifice and service that was coming from the faith of the Philippian church. There's sacrifices that were offered that were the lower sacrifices. Those were for sin and guilt. And those were offered and, and those were the lower sacrifices that then allowed entry into the temple where the, where the light of the menorah was, where the showbread was that looked forward to Christ. And on those higher sacrifices, the drink offering was poured. And the drink offering was wine. And it was meant to be a sweet aroma to our Lord. So on top of the sacrifice that was offered by the priests, the drink offering came as a sweet aroma on top of that. Can you imagine the, the joy that a priest would experience if he had a heart that was, that was given over to God to consider the fact that he had been chosen by God in this place of service, that he could serve God by offering a sacrifice. And so he would serve and sacrifice, and then the drink offering. And Paul is saying to this church in Philippi, as you serve God and you sacrifice, I'm, it's like I'm a drink offering poured over that. And our sacrifices together, because, because I've been involved in your life and because you're now doing that, that is an offering that's even more special to God. And listen, I don't know about you, but when I offer sacrifice to God, as I say, I'm looking for it to bring pleasure to him. And when it brings pleasure to him, I am glad and I rejoice. See, the angst in my life comes when I stand against God. It doesn't, doesn't come from when I stand with God. It doesn't come from when I'm serving and sacrificing for him. It comes when I'm standing in opposition to him. So I'm overwhelmed with joy by being able to serve and sacrifice to my God. And Paul now turns in verse 18 and he says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As he spent the first part of the letter saying, this is how I'm rejoicing, the letter's going to turn here. As he says to them, so now listen, you're experiencing the same suffering and it's a sacrifice and it's a suffering, but rejoice because it's a sacrifice to your servant, King Jesus. And we can rejoice in that. 
So how can we see that our work is sacrifice that can bring rejoicing? And how does remembering the example of Christ help us with this? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Is the light in is the light of Christ inside of you a little light? Or has the light of Christ so poured into your life that it's a beacon? It's a beacon that cannot be contained. And it radiates out. And it shines like a star in the universe. Oh, God. Let that be the case with us. Let that be the case with me. Oh, God, flood me. Flood me with your presence. Overwhelm me with a sense of who you are. Move in me to obey. Move in me to proclaim. Move in us, God. Each one of us has things we're holding on to that we need to sacrifice. Each one of us have areas in our lives where we're serving ourselves instead of serving you. Oh, God. Help us realize the importance of coming to you, doing everything without arguing and complaining, becoming blameless and pure children of God. Oh, we love you, God. Pray it in your name.